Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In this episode of Boss Files. I started when I was 22 years old. And back then, Facebook was just a college site. There was one million students using Facebook. And now we've grown to a global community of over two billion people. Facebook's Naomi Glyde. She heads social good at the company and is the third longest serving employee there. She's been dubbed by CEO Mark Zuckerberg as the woman in charge of growing the Facebook community. A senior woman in Silicon Valley, she calls this a watershed moment. We need more women in power. We need parity and, you know, it'd be awesome if (laughs) women run the world. Why she says Sheryl Sandberg is her hero. Plus, her response to questions about Facebook's handling of the Russia-linked ads during the 2016 election. I ask her if more regulation is needed. Here's my conversation with Facebook's Naomi Glight. Naomi Glight, thank you for being here. Thank you, Poppy, for having me. It's an honor. Well, I've read so much about you, so I'm excited to hear this firsthand. You're sort of remarkable rise and journey at Facebook because I think many people listening may not know your name yet, <laughs> but you were one of Facebook's first employees, employee number 29, and the longest serving employee at Facebook today other than Mark Zuckerberg. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> there is someone, Matt Jacobson, he's the second longest okay, serving so I'm third. after third. All he right. was a mentor to me. You are a third. What is that like when you look back today on what it was when you started? I started when I was 22 years old. And back then, Facebook was just a college site. There was one million students using Facebook. I just graduated from Stanford, and obviously it was available there. And so now we've grown to a global community of over two billion people. So a lot has changed. A lot has changed. Here is how CEO Mark Zuckerberg describes you, quote, the woman in charge of growing our community. That is no small task (laughs) when you talk about being there for the first million and then the first billion and then two billion today. That's a monumental job. A lot of the projects that I've worked on have been about growing the community. And the way that we do that is by removing barriers, whether that's removing the language barrier, allowing people that speak over 100 languages to use Facebook, removing the barrier of access to a computer, so creating a rich Facebook experience for people only using a mobile device. Which is what, 90% of the usage today, is that right? Yes. Yeah. And we have people like us using Facebook on our iPhone and our computer and people in India who only are using a feature phone. Right. So when you you talk about the growth from a million to a billion to two billion, when did you realize after starting so young in your early 20s, wow, this is bigger, much bigger, exponentially bigger than a website for some college kids? Was there a moment, Naomi, when you said this could change the world? To be honest, Poppy, I think I knew that from the beginning. I just really believed that Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg was going to be really important. Why? You have said that. I mean, over and over again, one quote I read, I had extreme clarity that Mark was going to be an important person. I had an almost spiritual belief. Really? At 22? (laughs) Um... Well, I, at that time, was at Stanford, and I was majoring in science, technology, and society, which looks at how does science and technology change the way that we interact in society and vice versa. And so I actually ended up writing my senior thesis on Facebook. And so it was both as a user of Facebook, as a college student at Stanford, and an academic writing my thesis about it, that I really saw the power in this network of connecting people. I remember I was in college at the same time as you. I was not on Facebook when it was offered at, I went to Columbia, it was offered at my college. And okay, you didn't I, join. I didn't join then, don't worry, I'm on now. I've been on for a while. <laughs> right, but I, I, you know, I certainly didn't see it the way that you saw it. And it's fascinating that you saw it as this potential to reach so many, I mean, it wasn't even at all universities yet. 
That's right. Um, to become this sort of world changing thing. Right. Was it Mark that you saw this in? Was it the platform? What was it? I think it was both. I think even then I felt Mark was a really good person and he had a really big vision. And the product itself, it helps you connect with friends and family, and that is just a core, basic human need. Let's uh, dive into a little more on that in a moment. But just to familiarize people with your job and what you do today, you run social good at Facebook. What does that actually mean? What is your day-to-day? -day? How would you describe your mission there, your role there? So the social good team looks at how people are already using Facebook for good and then builds tools to make that even easier. And we have four areas of focus. We work on crisis response, charitable giving. Earlier this year, we announced an initiative around health. Mm -hmm. And then last week, Mark announced a new project around mentorship and support. So the team is really looking at how can we empower people to do more good. And so I kind of have the best job. At, the, at a time of pretty large division in this country, in the United States, politically right now. Do you view your role as even more important? Uh, because as we know, Facebook changed for the first time since its inception. It, it changed its mission statement, right? From first yeah. making the world more open and connected to now giving people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. Does it feel like a responsibility, Naomi, that you have? Absolutely. Um, you know. I've always felt that responsibility. I think we all have. We started the social good team three years ago, mm -hmm. but with the new mission, empowering people to build community and bring the world closer together, I think a lot of the tools that we're building on the social good team, whether it's fundraising tools or safety check or blood donation tools, suicide prevention tools, a lot of these are the tools that are actually empowering people to build community. Has it been disappointing for you to see some of the division manifests itself on Facebook. I see it working in cable news, right? So we have people fighting on our air, right? Yes. And then you see it playing out in social media in these forums. As you've watched over the last few years, certainly through the election and, and now in the, in, in the first year of this presidency, were you disappointed to see sort of that side of America so divided? Or were you encouraged thinking, all right, there are things we can do to try to have people have these discussions in a more civil manner? I think both. I think as the VP of Social Good, every day I get to see all of the examples of people doing amazing things on Facebook. Last week we raised $45 million for Giving Tuesday, for example. Huge. At the same time, Facebook is a reflection of the real world, which is not always as good as we want it to be. And people are, you know, divisive on cable news. They're divisive in Facebook um, forums. And so I think we have a lot of work to do. Can we talk about some of these tools that you have launched uh, that I find really fascinating? I mean, there are so many of them. You mentioned the mentorship program. This was just announced at the Social Good Summit in the last week. This is using technology, algorithms, et cetera, but also human power and capacity to bring together mentorship programs, yeah. to bring together people who want to succeed with those who have achieved in that exactly. sector who can achieve. What makes that different than typical mentorship programs? So to back up, we believe that mentorship is really important. Research shows that the average American has fewer than three people, three friends that they can really rely on for support. Huh. And we focus so much on helping you connect with people that you already know, your friends and family. But what if Facebook worked on helping you connect with people that you should know? And if we could connect the average American with just one more person that they could really rely on, that could make a big difference in their lives. That's why we wanted to get involved in mentorship. So what we announced is a partnership with nonprofits to expand their mentorship programs onto the Facebook platform. One of our first partners is iMentor. As you said, they partner, um, they match mentees and mentors, people that are in high school and want to go to college with people that want to mentor younger students. We met a couple, um, Kaylee, she was the mentee. Yep. Barry, she was the mentor. 
Kaylee's parents never went to college. Barry helped her with the application process. And now, moving forward, iMentor can really bring their mentorship program. Kaylee and Barry can use Facebook um, and all the tools on Facebook to have the best mentorship experience. And how do you prevent against, obviously, potential dangers, right? I mean, put, matching up strangers, different ages. Mm -hmm. So there's, what do you do? Safety and security is critical. That's how we've designed this program to start we're starting small. We're only starting with two nonprofit partners. Okay. They'll be doing the matching. Got so it. Facebook is not actually matching. Mentor. They're doing all the matching and the vetting, exactly. They're the ones designing the um, programs and the curriculum mm -hmm. um, that will be on Facebook. They are the experts. I mentor and International Rescue Committee have been working in education and crisis recovery for a decade. Yeah. Um, we're really relying on their expertise. The other thing is this is only available to people that are 18 years and older, Got so it. we are starting small. Another very important um, mission is suicide prevention. Yeah. And this is a space where Facebook has expanded to now use, you're using AI, you're using yes. artificial intelligence for suicide prevention. These algorithms, looking at people's posts, looking at sort of key phrases like, are you okay? Yes. Or can I help? So explain to me then what happens. Where is the intervention point and how much can an algorithm do, Naomi, versus uh, what, taking a human to, to, to intervene at some point here? So we know that the most powerful thing to prevent suicide is really having your friends and family intervene. And we definitely see that happen on Facebook. We see people who report their friends, their family, when they post something that's distressing or concerning. And then Facebook has a team of people around the world 24-7 reviewing these incoming reports and prioritizing the most serious and ones. And do you alert their friends and family on Facebook? Hey, by the way, if you didn't see this, yeah? We do. What we do is we surface um, resources to both the person in pain and their friends and family, notifying them of the situation. This could be a crisis helpline. This could be information about how to help your friend through this process. But the most important thing in, that you're referring to is really the proactive detection. Mm -hmm. When it comes to suicide prevention, speed is absolutely critical. If we're relying on someone to see a post and then report it to us and then us to review it, it right. just might be too late. And so we've done proactive detection to identify the most serious posts and mm -hmm. send help. You asked about what happens. We have actually resulted in over a hundred wellness checks by first responders that um, were resulting from the proactive detection efforts. So you would pro you would detect it, and then reach out to, to first responders, law enforcement, and first responders. And an AI can do all of this. The AI is the detection, the detection piece, really understanding that this person is a yeah. is at risk. Let's talk a little bit about how you ended up at Facebook because persistent doesn't even go <laughs> far enough. This is a great lesson for all of us. I mean, I remember trying to get into this business, yep. how persistent I was. I would call places and they would say, we have no openings, we're not interested in you. And I would beg for five minutes yeah. just to get in the door, right? Just, to, just yeah. to get in front of them. So you've talked about being obsessed with the site while you were at Stanford. Again, you wrote your senior thesis about Facebook, but at the time they were only hiring really engineers. Mm -hmm. And so, you went to the Palo Alto office, sent emails almost every week, and then what happened? And then I got an interview opportunity to be the personal assistant for Sean Parker. Who I've interviewed. You have, yeah. yeah. And at that time, he was the president of Facebook. Sure. Um, and I went through the interview process. I didn't get the job, but I got a... Um, I got a role in marketing, and then over the years I've done a lot of different roles, marketing, sales, um, writing, and ultimately my goal was really to be a product manager. As you said, I'm not technical. Right. I felt like the closest I could really be to building yeah. something was as a product manager working with the engineers. So you didn't get the job as the assistant. I didn't. Um, and how, how did they message that to you? Did they say, but we have this other job? Or Correct. you had to come back later for, <laughs> for that? They felt that I might have been a little overqualified or not the right fit for Sean, um, but there was this other job in marketing and did I want to interview for that. So, so the lesson in that for everyone listening? The lesson is... not getting their calls returned or their emails <laughs> returned. 
definitely persistence, but one thing I learned from Cheryl is she always says, if you're getting on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat. Cheryl Sandberg, of Cheryl course, Sandberg, the chief Cheryl Sandberg, and for me, um, you know, applying to be a personal assistant, that was a foot in the door, any foot in the door. Yeah, that's true, just get in front of these people. But you've said it is uncharacteristic for you to be so forward. Mm -hmm. So why do you think you had the, the guts to do it this time? Yes, it is very uncharacteristic of me to be so forward. Mark has these four lessons um, that he believes are like the four keys to life. The first one is, first you must love yourself. Yeah. The second is only then can you truly serve others. The third is focus on what you can control. And the fourth is for those things never give up. And I, I guess I never gave up. You, ne you certainly never gave up. Your first interaction with Mark Zuckerberg, do you remember it? I do. What was it? <laughs> what was it like? At that time. This guy who you'd written this whole thesis yeah, about yeah. his company. It was not remarkable. Okay. <laughs> we were in one room in downtown Palo Alto, 471 Emerson. That yeah. was our first office. And Mark was just one of the engineers sitting behind his computer coding. He was one of the you know, people actually writing code to build Facebook. And not just a not remarkable exchange. Oh, he didn't even <laughs> say anything to me. <laughs> but, but in 2010, he put you in charge of a big issue, a big problem. This was when, when Facebook was facing all of those privacy concerns. Yeah. And that was a very important job for you to handle. Yeah. You know, I've had a lot of jobs. We talked about sales, marketing, product yeah. management. I now lead the product management team at Facebook. But I've also worked on a lot of different challenges, primarily growth and now social good. But over the years, I've worked on privacy, security, safety, um, whatever was most important for the company at that time. What was that like for you to get that that? You know, one could call it a plum assignment, another one could call it a huge <laughs> challenge, but to be trusted with that. Because really the fate of Facebook lay in and lies in people trusting the platform. Right. And privacy is a big part of that. Absolutely. And, and they tapped you to, to address this. I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm flattered that they tapped me. I think that it was really just one of the most important things for the platform. Privacy is our priority, yeah. and um, my job was to build a team. That was definitely a team effort. We pulled, you know, they talk about hackathons at Facebook where you yeah. stay up all night and then you um, eat breakfast in the morning together. That was a that was like a five month hackathon. Really? <laughs> yeah. No sleep. No sleep. You have said, I don't know why, but at 21, Mark felt like he needed to save the world. What do you mean, and do you think he still feels that way? Yes, I feel like Mark um, feels the responsibility. The responsibility for, um, for Facebook and for, you know, he's just started a new company called Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. I know all about it. Wonderful. Him and Priscilla both feel this responsibility to really, um, you know, I think they feel like they've had a lot of success in their life and they want to turn that into um, serving others. Similar to the work, you know, we saw Bill Gates when he left yes. Microsoft and what he and Melinda have done with the Gates Foundation. Yes. You sit on the board of the primary school, yes. which is doing just remarkable work. I yeah. mean, I remember sitting listening to Priscilla talk about, Priscilla Chan talk about the, the primary school yes. and the children, the underprivileged children that they help. Um, at a conference, and it brought me to tears yeah. thinking about what these children need and the hardship they are faced with. He's still at the same time running Facebook, yeah. and he's doing this, but you're saying you see a greater, a greater calling for him, ultimately. I think what I see is the responsibility that he feels to do good in the world through Facebook, through the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, through his philanthropy efforts, and more. When we, when we talk about growth and you know, being sort of not only in charge of social good, but also being the growth woman, if you will, <laughs> and getting to the next billion users. Yeah. You've said, I always believed that growth was the most important thing, the most important way to impact a community. Well, what are the, we know the opportunities that growth brings, right? Connecting more people to, to change the world, and the hope is mainly in the best ways possible. Yeah. What are the biggest challenges, though, 
with growth because we've seen as you know certain companies have grown or you know Wall Street banks have ballooned some have made the argument are they too big to manage mm -hmm. so what about as you look at the next billion users what are what are the biggest challenges that come with that growth so I think the biggest opportunities are that four million people are not connected on the internet. And so we do have a whole initiative around connecting people to the internet. We know that for every 10 people that we connect to the internet, one is lifted out of poverty. And so there's still so much growth and connectivity that needs to happen. In terms of the challenges, I, you know, the, the, People that used Facebook when I joined, college students like you and I at Columbia and Stanford are not the same kind of people that are joining today. Um, these people are all around the world yeah. speaking different languages of all different cultures and perspectives. And so I think one of the big challenges is just really making sure that we'll, we're building a product that works for everyone. Mm -hmm. That's why having diversity on our team is so important because Right. I don't know, you know, what someone in India is going to want to do on Facebook. And we recently had a really good example where we found that women were not uploading profile pictures for their Facebook profile in on India. Facebook in India. Why? That was my question. Why? And one of our product managers who's from India, she told us that it's because the women are worried that their photos are going to be used for abuse or impersonation. And so RT, who's the product manager, actually built a solution for this where you can watermark your profile on Facebook in huh. India. And this has made women more comfortable with uploading profile pictures. Like a passport. Yes. Secure. Secure. So it can't be downloaded. It can't be screenshotted. It can't be used for abusive purposes. And one of the keys here, you mentioned, you know, the, the billions of people who are not connected yet to the internet. Yep. Uh, Facebook developing a program, developed a program to use drones to deliver internet to parts of the world that don't have access. Yep. Huge challenge, huge opportunity. Yes, yes. So we have efforts to bring Wi-Fi connectivity to people that don't have access. And also for people that do have access, a lot of people just can't afford it. Yeah. And so we've been working with operators to enable that. Um, to be free or low cost. And, and when you talk about the cost and not being able to afford it, I mean, it is, in a sense, can be the great equalizer, right? You said of every 10 people that gets connected to the internet, one, one is, is lifted out of poverty. poverty. Yeah, yeah. Simply because of the opportunity that comes Correct. to that. Correct, access to information. Um, one story that we usually tell is just farmers being able to check the prices for their crop and being able to select the market where they can um, Get sell their, yeah, that's just an just example. Just because knowledge is power. Um, Facebook safety check. Yeah. This, I remember uh, very well when it was turned on in, after the Paris terror attack in yes. 2015. I was there covering it. You were in Paris? I was in Paris. Cover, I went, went to Paris to cover it, uh, and as did a lot of my colleagues. Um, that was one of the first sort of big instances where, where it was used. It yeah. has subsequently been used in the 2016 Orlando Pulse nightclub yes. shooting. It actually went on, I think, 11 minutes before police officially announced that there had been a shooting. How critical has that been? Because that would follow fall under you as well. Yes, yes. So um, safety check has definitely been critical. During a crisis, the most important thing that you need is to know that your friends and family are safe or to... Um, tell them that you are safe. And so in 2011, mm -hmm. we launched the first safety check. We had a group of engineers in Tokyo who were there during the Fukushima natural sure. um, earthquake and, and tsunami, and they saw people already using Facebook without having a safety check to just say they're safe right. and check on their friends and family. And so they built a disaster message board um, that aggregated all of the posts in one place. After the Boston Marathon bombing, we had those engineers build the safety check that we know today. Um, and in the past three years, it's been activated over a thousand times and over three billion notifications have been sent to um, people just letting them know that their friends and family are safe. And we've had a number of natural disasters in, you know, affecting the United States. Hurricane Harvey. Uh, you know, and, 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 uh, and obviously the British Virgin Islands, yep. the Virgin Islands, et cetera. Hurricane Harvey, Irma, Maria. Maria. When you look at Puerto Rico, for example, yes. this has been, you know, a bulk of the island without power for, for, mo for months. How has safety check and 
just Facebook been utilized in that recovery? What have you seen? What have you learned? Sure, several things. I think the first is with safety check. Obviously, people in Puerto Rico are using safety check, but just because you're safe, it doesn't mean that you don't need help. As you said, so many people there don't have power. So we built a new feature called Community Help, Mm -hmm. which connects people who need help with people who can give it. And so we see people in Puerto Rico asking for food, shelter, transportation, Mm -hmm. other basic needs, and we're connecting them with people who are offering help. A great example is in Houston, Texas. I just met a woman who used community help to offer shelter in her home. She ended up taking in a family that had a two-month-old. They lived together for several months, cooking dinner every night. That's what community help can do. Um, We've also launched other tools like fundraising. So after Hurricane Harvey, we raised over $20 million as a Facebook community um, for the relief efforts. And Facebook has also contributed a million dollars towards Save the Children. Um, And finally, we have a team there. We have a team that's trying to restore internet connectivity on Puerto Rico. And how's that going? I mean, what lens can you give us for those of us who haven't been down there covering it or people who are listening, what? Well, we have a team that is skilled in setting up internet in remote areas per the conversation we just had. And so what they've done is flown there and tried to bring a lot of the people in tech that we that we use um, and I believe that the efforts are going well. Let's talk a little bit about growing up Naomi. Yeah. What what do we, what should we know? What was life like? You're from the great borough of Brooklyn where we reside now <laughs> and you went to Sanford. Was your interest always, I mean, did you think you would end up at a company? I suppose the idea of Facebook <laughs> didn't even exist, but right. what was it like growing up in your shoes? So I had a really interesting childhood. I grew up in Brooklyn. I think growing up in Brooklyn, you grew up a little bit faster yeah. than um, growing up in, in some place less urban, less diverse. Sort of thinking, how am I going to protect my daughter? From I know. But you know, <laughs> it is what it is. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah. I grew up um, taking the subway to school starting in sixth grade. That's something that's just like not your average no. thing your kid would do. Um, but most importantly, my mom and my dad are um, very cross-cultural. So my mom is from Taiwan. Okay. She came to the United States when she was 24. And my dad is this Jewish kid from Long Island. He's this immigration lawyer and they met through his practice. So growing up in Brooklyn, we um, you know, went to Hebrew school on Sundays, we went to Chinese school on Saturdays, and (laughs) that experience really taught me to appreciate diversity and different cultures and perspectives. Independence, getting on the subway alone? Independence, yes. In sixth grade? Yeah, yeah. Um, In terms of whether or not I knew I wanted to work at Facebook, you know, when I told people I wanted to work at Facebook, they were like, what is Facebook? (laughs) (laughs) And my mom's like this this sort of tiger mom who really wanted me to work um, as an investment banker at Lehman Brothers. Okay, well, Lehman's not around (laughs) around anymore anymore. Facebook is around. I'm like, Mom, do you finally think I made the right decision? What did she say? (laughs) Yeah, she gets it. Oh, that's good. But you did, that's hard to sort of defy your parents in a sense or say, look, I'm just going to like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. My gut tells me this is right. Yeah. You know, there's this saying that I have on my desk um, on a little plaque that says, it takes courage to choose hope over fear. And so I think it was a big risk and it was really scary, but um, I had hope and mm-hmm. here we are. And you're not an investment banker. <laughs> I'd, I'd be terrible at that job anyway. <laughs> I would too. That's why I'm not an investment banker. When I sat down with Carolyn Everson, uh, who yes. runs all of ads at yes. Facebook about a year ago, she told me something I will never forget and it's about pulling into Facebook every day to go to work and at the headquarters and seeing behind the Facebook entrance sign there is this Sun Microsystem sign. Yes. Obviously a company that's not around anymore. Right. Now most companies would take down the sign of the you know old old, old company that used to be there but Facebook didn't for a reason and that is she told me to remind employees that Sun was a great company it's no longer there and never forget, you don't want to become replaceable. You yeah. don't, you know. So what do you think when you drive by that sign? I think we're 1% done. 
That is the saying that you know we have on posters around the office. Mm -hmm. We're one percent done. I think a lot of people would look at Facebook and be like, one percent, you know, you're ninety nine percent done, and it's like, no, we still have ninety nine percent way to go. So I think that's a really important lesson to know, you know, to to remind yourself that. There's still so much work to do. So let's talk about the diversity. You you came from a diverse family in a yeah. diverse borough, in a diverse city, yeah. in a diverse state of New York, right? But you had a different upbringing than many people. Um, at In Silicon Valley right now, it is a moment of reckoning for a number of reasons, and one of them is on the diversity front. Yep. Um, in terms of women yes. and having enough women, parity, whatever you want to call it, in Silicon Valley, at Facebook, 35% of Facebook's global employees are women. 28% of women hold leadership positions there. Number of, you know, you're, you're on the executive committee, you're one of the top people at Facebook. You're a woman, Sheryl Sandberg, Lori Goler, Carolyn yeah. Everson. But, but what does it need to be, Naomi? Is it, is it parity at the top? Is it 50-50 throughout the company, men to women? What will make you feel like we are there? We need more women in power. We need parity and, you know, it'd be awesome if (laughs) women run the world. (laughs) Um, But let's start with parity. So as you said, um, we have a long way to go. 6%, and Cheryl just published an op-ed about this that um, you and I both read, 6% of um, Fortune 500 companies are run by women. 20% of Congress is female. 13 countries out of 195 are run by women. And so these numbers need to increase in order for there to be um, parity. Make the business case for for someone who would listen to this and say, why, why do you need parity? Why can't it just be about the person who's most qualified on paper, best for the job, without looking at their gender? Make the business argument for this. So when we talk about diversity, it's not just gender, it's race, background, different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And diverse teams perform better. I just talked about Arti, our our product manager from India. She is um, different, you know, she's diverse gender, diverse in terms of where she grew up and experience. And I would have never known the experience that women in India are having on Facebook, but she brought that perspective. And so, especially because we're building a product for two billion people around the world, our team needs to reflect that diversity. And and what about uh, diversity in terms of racial diversity? Absolutely. Um, do you know the, the exact numbers of where Facebook is now? Um, I don't. You you know who would know is Lori Goler. Yeah, She's our head of so people. I have, I have the past numbers. What do you do to get the numbers up? Um, how much is it about active recruitment? Yeah, so I think it's complex and I don't know what the answers are, but I do know what we're doing at Facebook. Obviously, Cheryl is a huge champion of diversity, mm-hmm. gender, race, um, underrepresented minorities. Um, and so there are a lot of things that we do. Um, in terms of every step of the funnel. So we need to start young. One thing that we know is that um, Cheryl and Shrepp, they actually wrote about this in Popular Mechanics, that three out of four women in middle school, girls in middle school, express an interest in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, but then they don't pursue it. So something is happening between middle school and college that is discouraging them from pursuing their interests. Did you pursue that? I did not. It's a great question. I and you know I think that's a real regret that I have is I'm not technical and I did not pursue. I was interested in it, but I think you know I didn't think I could do it. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, I, in college to fulfill my science requirement, I took astronomy because I wanted to get an A. And like one of my, you know that is one of my great regrets yeah. is not you know because I I struggled with you know AP physics and. AP calculus yes. in high school, and so I was so focused on the grade yes. in college over what I would get from it. I agree. Building our resume instead of like learning as a means in it in and of itself. So I think yeah. these are the the levers that mm-hmm. we think we have, and so we are partnering with Girls Who Code, and I know that you talked to Reshma yeah. and Reshma Shijani, amazing founder of Girls Yes, and Carly Kloss, who's involved in coding for girls. And so we have initiatives with young people, young girls, but also young people of color, trying to get them to pursue their their interests and not being discouraged. What about at venture firms? So not just at the big companies like Facebook. I mean, the numbers are paltry when you look at the VC community 
Um, pretty new numbers out of TechCrunch show that among the top 100 VC firms, the percent of female partners is now at 8%. The money, when you look at how much venture money is going to female-backed companies, 10% of venture money went to startups with at least one female founder between 2012 and Q3 of 2017, so about a five-year span. What do you think, you're shaking your head right now for people who can't see you. Um, what do you think when you consider those numbers? We have so much work to do. And so I have many friends that are both female VCs and female CEOs. And I think that um, we're starting to see more women in these fields on either side of it. But um, it just, I mean, like the numbers speak for themselves. And, you know, we were talking about sexual harassment earlier. It's not surprising to me that we've seen so many people in Silicon Valley, you know, talk about their stories with sexual harassment. These female CEOs being harassed by these male VCs in positions of power over them. And so I think that needs to change, too, in order to see more women in the field. Has that happened to you it in has, your career? You know, it hasn't. I feel so lucky that it really hasn't happened to me. I have... Cheryl, Carolyn, Lori, incredible female peers. I have incredible male allies. We talked about our mentors a little bit earlier. I have two really incredible male mentors that I've worked with for over a decade. Mm -hmm. And so I feel really lucky that I have not personally experienced that, but clearly so many people have. And I also think a lot about the fact that I haven't experienced that. But isn't it sad that we both feel lucky, lucky. that we haven't? because so many have. I mean, everybody should have our experience, right. not just of not being sexually harassed, but being incredibly supported. Yeah. So as you know, Sheryl Sandberg said recently, quote, the world is still run by men. I'm not sure it's going that well. <laughs> True quote, yeah, I double checked I it, okay? I know. Um, <laughs> do you agree? I agree. Um, you know, I really respect Cheryl and you and I were just talking about how when she, um, you know, she doesn't beat around the bush. She says nope. what she means. And I think that's a great example. Um, and, you know, personally, I am a senior female leader at Facebook. Um, and I feel that responsibility to set an example, to do a really good job and to help my team succeed and also you know, bring up and support the women around me. Do you feel like there is a responsibility on you, an onus on you in this, what is clearly a moment of reckoning in Silicon Valley for women? Uh, at, you know, companies where Ariane Huffington told me recently she sits on the Uber board. For a while, she was the only woman on the Uber board. Yeah. And she had this, like, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, like, no jerks rule. <laughs> you know, like, we can't have, you know, jerks at the company. We can't have, you know, just because someone is a total tech whiz and genius, et cetera, we can't let any of this other behavior pass. Do you feel an onus on you, not only within, within Facebook, but I, I guess within Silicon Valley, to really be a voice uh, on this front? Um, I do. I do. Again, I think within Facebook, there, this is a watershed moment in Silicon Valley, I think, in America. But at Facebook specifically, we have, and Cheryl has, and Lori has, done a really great job of making Facebook such a safe and supportive environment for all of us there. And so we have really strict policies. We have um, extensive training around sexual harassment. We have um, an HR team that you know enforces the policies. We do so much. And so I think it's really about how can we um, make sure that other tech companies and that other organizations in Silicon Valley can learn from some of these best practices mm -hmm. and um, make systemic change. Facebook has led the way, uh, t Facebook and Silicon Valley have led the way, interestingly, on paid family leave, mm -hmm. on parental leave. Yeah. It's a four-month policy for, for men, new, and, men women. and women, parents at the company. Mark took two months. Um, he's actually on paternity leave now in Hawaii. There you go. Yeah. Although I bet he's still answering emails just like I did on my <laughs> maternity leave, and that's okay. You know, because some of us just cannot totally sign just, off. Yeah. But why? How important is is that for equality? And it's not just in tech now. We're seeing it at some of the big Wall Street banks giving this long leave. We're seeing it at uh, the consulting, the big consulting firms. 
Um, how important is that, Naomi, for reaching true equality and getting to the parity of women that you'd like to see in leadership? It's so important because women shouldn't feel like they need to miss out or, you know, um, fall, fall behind because they take time off to have a baby. And so at Facebook, we are for four months, mm -hmm. fully paid paternity and maternity leave mm -hmm. for everyone, regardless of their sexual orientation, regardless of if you had the baby or you adopted the baby. And so, I mean, I think even you've talked about how your husband yeah. having paternity leave was huge, so helpful. Huge. Yeah. But again, he had the luxury of working for a company that allowed that. And he... Yeah frankly had the guts to take it. A lot of men that I speak with, even if their companies offer it, yeah. don't take it. All the men at Facebook don't take That's right. four months or three months or two months. That's right. They need, and he feels like he has to set an example for the men that work for him. Yes. Or if he doesn't take it, they won't take it. I think that's right, and I'm glad he's setting that example, and I think Mark feels the same way yeah. in setting the example by taking his own paternity leave twice. The business case for allowing that, it costs the company a good chunk of money, but increases retention, I would assume, big time? Oh, yeah. Um, this is like a no-brainer. Mm -hmm. um, in order to be your best self at work, you need to um, you need to be happy, and you need to be sustainable, and you need to like be able to be a mom and be a rock star you know, leader at work. So all of these things should never be trade-offs, and I think at Facebook we try really hard to you know, make you not choose. Um, let's talk about the, the Facebook ads and the, what's going on with uh, the Russia investigation, et cetera. I want to get your take on some of this as to the extent that you can comment on it. Facebook found recently and announced that 126 million Americans may have been exposed to content uh, generated on Facebook from a Russian government-linked troll farm. This was between 2015 and 2017. As you lead social good and growth, how, how do you see that challenge, Naomi? What, what needs to happen when you talk about the big picture issue of Russian meddling in the U.S. election? So first of all, we take this really seriously. Um, we don't want this to happen on Facebook. This is not okay. Mm -hmm. um, it's a new kind of threat, and this is a threat to national security. That's why we need to work with the U.S. government, we need to work with other tech companies, and we're making a huge investment on this at Facebook, both in people and technology. And Mark has made it really clear that this is more important than any sort of maximizing profits or delivering on business KPIs. So what he has said, you're right, he said he's, quote, dead serious yeah. about preventing yes. election meddling as much as possible. And he said, we won't catch everyone immediately but we can make it harder for them to try to interfere. And he went on to say that Facebook is investing so much in security that in his words, it will quote, significantly impact our profitability going forward. Can you give us a lens into what that means in terms of uh, investing so much? Does that mean much more human capital? I know a thousand extra people have been brought yeah. on to focus just on this. I mean, what are you looking at internally at the company now? I would say people and technology in terms of investment. People, you said a thousand more people. We actually have 10,000 people that work on safety and security related issues. We're doubling that to 20,000. Okay. We're investing more products, engineering, you know, headcount into this. That's 20,000 people just on this issue or in safety and security? Safety totally. and security total. So, what about on this issue of sort of foreign government? election meddling. Yeah, I think it is probably the 1,000, but mm -hmm. also these issues are not so siloed. A lot of the work that we do across safety and security, whether it's on fake accounts, whether it's on disrupting economic incentives, whether it's on working with um, third-party organizations, will help across the board. Is there also a lesson here, Naomi, in how much algorithms and AI can do and how much humans are still needed? Absolutely. We need both. 
So AI is not the, you know, is not going to solve everything. Mm -hmm. um, that said, it is really helpful. We talked about the proactive detection mm -hmm. of suicidal posts on Facebook. We're also using AI to proactively detect terrorist content on Facebook. At the same time, we need people who can, you know, review these incoming reports and really make a judgment call on some of this stuff. As you know, some lawmakers from both parties on Capitol Hill have suggested and uh, f are, are fighting for Facebook and other social media platforms, Twitter, et cetera, to be further regulated. Now, uh, one proposal out there right now, the Honest Ads Act, would require making copies of political ads on social media and information about the audience that's being targeted with them available for the public to see. What do you think? Is that necessary? So I think that we are currently working with the government. We do have regulations. We do comply with local law. All of that said, we know that we can do more. We recently built a tool to see what ads any page is running, even if those ads aren't targeted to you. So we need more ads transparency. We also built a tool to allow users to see any of the Russian content that they were actually exposed to if they want to go back and see that. So. There's more that we can do, and I think this is an ongoing conversation. And this would be, that's about what they can see, about what they were served up before. This Correct. is about sort of proactively ahead of the next election, the midterms. It, are, it sounds like you're saying you and the Facebook team are open to more regulation. Is that is that what you're saying? That yes. it might be a good thing for, for social media sites in general, including Facebook? I think we already have, we are already working within regulations, and we should discuss more moving forward. Is this an inflection point for, for Facebook specifically? Uh, you dealt with the privacy issue back in 2010. Yeah. Is this another moment like that? You know, over the past 12 years, there have been so many moments. My favorite thing to remind people of is when we launched Newsfeed. It was so controversial all of a sudden to have, you know, this feed of all the activity going on within your friend circle. And people were so angry. You know, there was groups around bringing back the old Facebook and we had people protesting outside the office. And so sometimes we forget that it there have been a lot of ups and downs mm -hmm. um, over the course of, of at least my time there. I don't even remember that one. Really? No, I remember I, it because I we don't, have, to have security protesting outside. <laughs> I don't remember that. So, Mark Zuckerberg touring all 50 states. Yeah. Um, which got a lot of people saying, "Is Mark Zuckerberg running for president?" Now, I'm not going to ask you that question because the answer is no. Oh, the answer is no. Okay, there you go. And the answer is no. But let's talk about why. Um, he's he's a father of two. He's running the company. He's running, you know, the the CZI. Um, what does he gain from being in the field in all 50 states talking to these average American families? I'm fascinated by this. So we talked about Mark as a learn-it-all, and I think this trip has really given him a lot of new insights. We talked about the mentorship and support program mm -hmm. with people having so few other people they can really rely on for support. That was an insight that Mark had while traveling around. He visited a local juvenile detention center, and mm -hmm. he realized that so many of the kids in the center, you know, he was asking them, like, who can you talk to for help? And they were like... I don't have people that I can talk to. So some of... And this came from that experience. Yes, that was the inspiration for pursuing this mentorship and support program is, is some of these various experiences they have, whether it was at the juvenile detention center, whether it was talking to um, a family in a small town about, you know, why they don't move somewhere closer to a city, all of these right, things... for jobs. For jobs, yeah. But that's their home. That's their home, and, and one of the big things they said is that they just don't know anybody who lives elsewhere. All of their friends are sort of in, mm -hmm. in, this, in this one town, and, and if they wanted to, it'd be really helpful if they knew someone. It is so important to get out of these seats, our seats of privilege. Yes. I feel like that getting off yes. the anchor desk. We were just in Michigan. We were just in Beattyville, Kentucky, tiny little town in Kentucky, speaking to voters, and... You yeah. don't understand if you're not with them. I couldn't agree more. And we, we're in our Silicon Valley bubble. Um, I think that it makes a lot of sense to get out of it. So as we wrap up, um, a few things people might not know about you. 
you've taught on a Navajo reservation, true? Yeah. Lived in a Buddhist monastery in Thailand. Where did you find out? I would do my stuff? research. We do our research here. This is CNN. Is, are these things true? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what uh, fascinating and bizarre adventure is next for you? What do you want to do outside of Facebook? Outside of Facebook. Yeah. What's like that? Um, I'm going with my family to Hawaii. Hawaii is one of my favorite places in the world. Okay, that is not teaching on a Navajo <laughs> reservation. <laughs> I'm going to do this monastery. Try again. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> I did those things when I was in high school and I was like... <laughs> You're a, are you technically a millennial? Yes. Me too. You're Me too. 1980 to, to 2000, yeah. I think, is... We're on the old end. The millennial. But do you have an itch for... I mean, well, staying working at Facebook, but for some of these adventures? Um, you know, I think we've, <laughs> it's such a great question. It's almost like, what's the most, you know, what do you want to do? What's a dream for you to do? Right. Um, really, I just want to spend time with my new niece. That's I'm kind of my priority niece. right now. <laughs> yeah. In Brooklyn, yeah. in New York, right? Yes, and for me, this is being my first niece. I don't have children. That's a very challenging adventure I in and of you, itself. I a parent of a young child that is quite an adventure and a challenge. <laughs> um, Who's your hero? Um, I have a lot of heroes. Um, you know, I think Cheryl, I was there the day that she joined Facebook and she just instantaneously became the hero for all of the girls at the office. We hadn't even met her yet and she was our hero. Really? Simply because here was Cheryl, our new chief operating officer. This is before Lean In. Before Lean In, before everything. And here was this woman who was gonna be you know, Mark's right hand, and that just made us so proud and something to aspire to. Mm -hmm. Naomi, thank you very, very thank much. Thank you so much, Poppy. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at Poppy Harlow CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.